This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Well, we love being back here. Same time, same place, same chairs. It's nice. I'm Ramya Amadin. Kelly McDonald is also where he is in London, Ontario. Oh, yeah, I'm in Toronto. And it's right. Kelly and Ramya. Does it feel familiar to you, Kels? Or too much adrenaline yes, coming in? Unfortunately, with yesterday, with um, technical issues taking me out of the show, yep. it gets me mixed up. So for a moment, I had that. Am I starting or is Rumya starting today? It's oh, uh, it's too boring, you know, like to have just a full show where nothing goes wrong technically or all the show or the guests show up. Come on, who wants that? We like That's a little right. It's not even exciting to the crowd. No. Anyone watching, no matter what. Unless there's something particular you want to hear, you're yeah. engaged, and something happens. Exactly. So then good. it's just frustrating. But awesome, awesome, awesome. We're glad to be back here. And of what course. a lineup today. Good heavens. Yep. And now that we have all the jinxing out of the way, we can get to the other conversation I wanted to bring up, which is, do you carry cash? All the time. Always have. When I first started working in Toronto, I tried to use debit everywhere. And of course, we're talking many, relatively many moons ago, and I had trouble finding it. So I always had cash, still always have it. But what I notice now, Rum, is it stays in my wallet for ages. Oh, oh. But if I don't have it, wherever I first place I go, oh, I'm sorry, our debit's down. What? Okay, so wait, to get it right, you actually carry cash, but don't use it as your default method of payment. Oh, God, no mm. way. Yeah, no, I carry it, but never, no, no, no. I, okay. I do debit all I weigh. Oh, that's an interesting twist, because I yeah, Until assume... they tell me it's gonna, they're going to charge me more. Yeah, yeah Like, yeah. if you order a pizza and they come to your door, they'll say, well, it's $1.50 to use the machine. Then I may choose to use cash. That's a fair point. And also, do you tip in cash or no? Even then, you'll just add it to the... Oh, oh, gosh, I always, yeah, no, I tip in cash. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There's at least yeah, some, I, like, I, legitimate reason why you carry around cash. I hate carrying around and cash. And I have, Ramya, I think, paid with debit, and if I have some cash on me, I do give tips in cash sometimes, but uh, that's not often. Mm. This never seems to work out that way. The only cash I have is the cash at home in my piggy bank, and that's because for occasions like birthdays, New Year's, Diwali, which is coming up this Saturday, by the way, my parents still insist on giving us cash. I've asked for e-transfers. It's not working out for them. Uh, But I never use it, and I never carry it out with me as a backup option in my wallet. So I often end up borrowing cash from people in situations like cash bars. Oh, my God. And then having to e-transfer them. So can you imagine? So convoluted. Let's just get rid of cash, please. Yeah, that would be no. Just carry a bit. No. (laughs) And then you don't ever have to turn to your friends and say, here, bail me out here and here. (laughs) It's problematic. I stopped carrying cash because I spend too much of it, and that is the same reason why it stays at home. Well, don't carry that much of it. No, sorry. See, it's getting too gray area. Let's find out what's coming up on today's show. It's too hard for you to do. (laughs) Uh, What are some habits that'll help us feel energized in the mornings, a.k.a. morning routines? That's what we're discussing with Julia Carantis on our nutrition segment. Wow, you know what's really cool? The Winter Wonderland Market at the Sheridan Hotel in St. John's is coming up in a few days. Well, you know who's here with details at the beginning of our second hour. Kim Thistle. 
He's got it. Mm -hmm. Children and adult children, what do kids wish their parents knew? Lucia Belafonte is going to bring this up on our parenting conversation. Wow. Cool. All right, if you're interested in reptiles and discoveries, the remains of a two-foot-long, meter-long reptile found in North Texas are shaking up the scientific world. Around six and a half million humans live here in Dallas-Fort Worth now, but during the mid-Cretaceous period, about 96 million years ago, it was home to dinosaurs, including one that's just now been identified. Ampelognathus coheni was a six-foot-long plant eater that lived on the shore of the shallow ocean that divided North America. Its fossils are helping to complete the picture of the ancient ecosystem, what that dinosaur ate and what ate that dinosaur. Jim Ryan, ABC News, Dallas. I love the food chain connecting the dots game that we play when things like this happen, right? Like, ooh, where does this fit into life as we know it now, the food chain or the system as we know it now, um, and the kind of discoveries and details that we get around this, like their mm, digestive systems, their teeth, their skeleton, what's available, what's not available, what are still mysteries after finding these things. I think it's fascinating, Kels, because obviously it's a look into history, but also the alternatives, the what-ifs if these things, if these creatures, sorry, were uh, still alive today and how things might be different. It's almost like... um and I know you can't say that because of the Ice Age and so on, the, mm. the a battle of the fittest, right? Who will survive? But it, it kind of is like that, just like we used to say, oh, yeah, you know what insect would live through a nuclear blast or whatever. You say, why? How? What? What made this go extinct? What made this stay on? It is an amazing thought process. Where would we be if they were still here in the way of amphibians, yeah. reptiles, whatever? Exactly. Where would they fall into? And all that is just so over, overwhelmingly amazing. Um, and like it says here, it turns the, really the scientific world on its ear. Yeah, of course. And here it's so um, straightforward, I'd say, to think this way, right? To conceptualize this way, to understand, oh my, you know, this is something we just found out and imagine the ripple effects of it all. I just wonder why we can't all get into that same mentality when it comes to climate action, climate change, the way that we're ruining our earth and thinking, yeah, but that's just an isolated situation. No, it's not. It's all the same way, right? It's all ripple effect. Uh Everything yeah, affects and there's everything. certainly going to be ripple effect, and it doesn't take much of a change mm. to have some negative, maybe once in a while, if we're lucky, positive effects. Yes, exactly. Chain reactions. We'll live through it, and we'll find out where we go from here. After the break, we're talking about pets and considerations for the winter. Maybe some of them need more consideration than others in the colder weather and the snow and all this other stuff. So vet Danielle Johnkind is going to give us the answers. We'll be right back. This is Kelly and Ramia. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramia will be right back. about spider webs over the break and identifying bite marks and such. Kels, I don't remember the last time I got bit by anything, but do your spiders bite in your house, in your home? Uh, I've been bitten. At least I believe it's by spiders. Nothing's happened to me, oh, so yeah. it's not like I've, you know, but, and they do the double bite where you get two beside each other. Uh, and sometimes Isn't that how to winter. tell? Usually That's that type of mark is a spider bite, no? Yeah, two right beside each other, and and they they never hurt. I never notice them. It's not oh. like I feel like, hey, 
and I have to say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? You don't pay rent. Get out. Unless it's on I'm your face, I'm supposed to be maybe. here. Go. Well, yeah. And again, I know some, some people will say, keep, keep you know, don't, don't get rid of all the spiders because anything else that creeps in, they'll get it. Yes. Right? Oh, okay. So there's some use. But Ugh. hey, man, I pay rent. Don't get me. I know. I really don't want to be reaching around a spider web to get into my cupboard or something. You know, that's... No, no, you got to get rid of that. It's, it's when they're little. in a nice, obscure place. Like it's the nice, ceiling. You know, then they come out. Can't yeah. see it. Can't feel it. I Very don't know what's much. there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Because you don't want too much of that. Yeah, the, I'm nothing like walking into a place and a little bit of webbing, you know, mm. where Spider-Man has already swung through to, you know, go after somebody. And you're like, ah, what's that on my face? Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh. Anyways, we should probably stop hypothesizing about what our bites mean and just instead ask a professional like Dr. Danielle Johnkind. She's our vet. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. Danielle, do people do this to you? Do humans come in with questions that have nothing to do with their pets and ask you about spider bites? <laughs> yes, and my response, my response is always... No, no, I'm not a physician. <laughs> you need to ask your doctor. I only do pets. <laughs> yeah, I do, and I don't care if you have a spider for a pet. I'm not treating him. <laughs> right. no, you are not the is, client. Mm. There is definitely an element of that. I don't do exotics, and spiders would be more likely to terrify me than to, you know, be, ah, um, arachnophobia. My, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And I was laughing at your spider thing because, um, you know, I classify spiders into two types, the very well-behaved spiders, which are the little orb weavers that stay up in the corners and stuff, and yep. then the not very well-behaved spiders that I find crawling around in places I might actually get them on me, and yep. that, that yeah. is not That you good. might frequent, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the ones up in the corner, at least they're like the supervisor. Everything's yes. cool here. That's yeah. good here. All these little guys I sent out, they'll get you. I guess that's pretty, <laughs> pretty much how the rest of us categorize spiders as well <laughs> in the non-academic yes. realm. So, Danielle, we want to talk about winter today. Um, we, uh, as humans, we do a number of things to get ready for winters. And snowbirds prepare by they going, by going south. Some of us put on... Um, uh, garden chairs and stuff out or others make an appointment to make their winter tires put on and we want to know what we should be thinking about when it comes to winterizing for our pets and you have some tips for us today are there pets that need more consideration around the winter time than others uh, for sure there are you know of course pets that are strictly indoors, you know, they're, they're, they have this environment that doesn't change as much. So, you know, the changing seasons don't necessarily affect them as profoundly. So, I mean, a lot of times we're talking about pets that go outside, which is, you know, most dogs, because they're going to be going outside to, um, you know, do their business. And sometimes when people have outdoor cats, but, you know, the indoor pets like cage pets, guinea pigs, reptiles, you know, they, they don't really have too many changes. Um, the birds that go outdoors in an aviary, you know, might have to be confined indoors depending on the species. So, you know, we should always, of course, make sure they have a lot to do to keep them occupied when they don't have their little outdoor playground. And, you know, the only other thing about indoor pets that I'd be um, watching is, you know, um, some of the reptiles have specific um, 
times that they're supposed to be exposed to, you know, light to keep them healthy. So, you know, make sure you know what that is for the species you have. And if you have to adjust any artificial timers on your lights, if they're, if you're using sunlight for part of that light, um, consideration, then make sure you adjust those for the shrinking day length if you have to. Um, you know, so that's kind of, you know, the pets that I would be watching for changes for winterizing. Well, I, and I would imagine one of the things, Danielle, that comes to mind the most is thinking about being outdoors in the cold, right? For sure. And, you know, that's one thing to think about when we're thinking about our pet's health in the winter. Um, there are some dog breeds that, very, that need very little additional help in the cold. I mean, if you own a northern breed dog like a Siberian Husky, a Malamute or a Samoyed, they have a huge, dense, fluffy coat, you know, and you can walk them in the winter without the need for any protective clothing um, to keep them warm in the cold but you know if you have a very short coated breed like a boxer or a very small breed with a short coat like a chihuahua for example um, you'll definitely want to get some winter gear for them uh, the cold can be very uncomfortable for some of these guys especially if they're small and skinny um, they have jackets and sweaters for dogs and boots that velcro on the legs around the legs to keep them warm um, if you have these items from last year, you know, you're going to want to make sure you pull them out and they're still in good working order, kind of like you do with your hats and mitts, you know, um, and make sure they still fit. You know, if that jacket was a little snug last year <laughs> and your pet maybe put on some weight, you might want to get a new one for this year. Ironically, Never winter happens. weight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The winter weight, yeah. Usually in the summer, they're more active. So hopefully that's not an issue, but it's a good thing to check, you know. And just incidentally, it's a good time to check over your harnesses and collars and leashes for wear and tear, you know, to make sure they're going to keep your dog secure and they're not going to break on you unexpectedly. And, you know, for dogs with medium coats, you know, like beagles and Labrador retrievers, I mean, use your judgment on whether you need to dress them for the cold or not. They, they might be fine yeah, until it gets really cold in January and maybe only need something for walks then. Yeah, that's always a question in my house, whether or not Glasgow, he's a doodle, is going to get a haircut around the winter because does he need his hair, does he not? Um, because, you know, some of the breeds that have the longer hair protection from the cold, but also do they actually get cold if you cut their hair? Yeah, I think a lot depends on the type of hair too, mm. you know, and, and I think the big thing is to, you know, to watch your pet's behavior, you know, if they're cold, you know, you they'll, they'll tell you. You'll and, know. You yeah. know, and then you'll know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How long should we let our pets stay outside in the cold? Well, you know, when walking dogs in the winter, you know, um, I recommend you might think about a few things to decide how long to stay out. So, I mean, if you are uncomfortable in your winter gear, you know, your dog might be cold as well. So, um, we were just talking about, you know, signs of, you know, watching for signs that your dog's uncomfortable in the cold. So you might see that they're whining and complaining to go home. You know, they're trying to drag you back indoors. They might be shivering. They might be holding one paw up at a time when their Aww. feet are cold. You know, so if you're seeing these things, you know, they're cold, you know, take them home, maybe invest in some warmer, you know, winter gear for your pets so they can stay out long enough to get some much needed exercise in the future. 
um, cats that go outdoors seem to have a lot of common sense, you know, in my experience. If they go to the door wanting out in the winter and you open it for them in a snowstorm, you know, you'll see those ears flat back as the wind and snow hit them and their tail will start lashing, you know, and they'll usually decide, you know what, I'm not going out in that. Are you crazy? It's it's physical. It's palpable. They're like, no, thanks. It's, it's as if the very thought of it offends them, yes. you know, like yeah. you could just see it in their body language. Totally. But having said that, you know, if your cat has no common sense, you know, keep them in on cold days and in bad weather and certainly never let them out if you're going to be away all day and no one's home to let them in. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. All right. So then my thought, my wonder is just some of the other things that we might have to consider once those cold months seep in, like tomorrow. <laughs> well, you <laughs> That's know what it seems like. <laughs> I know. I was looking at the weather forecast and going, oh, freezing rain, really? Um, <laughs> but, you know, for when the snow flies, you know, you actually want to beware of fluffy paws. You know, well, well, hairy feet will protect paws from the cold. They're actually also prone to getting snowballs. So this happens when snow sticks to the long hair and freezes there. And it forms these little ice balls that your pet is forced to walk on, you know. And like for a person, it would be like walking on marbles, you know, like you can imagine it, it can be uncomfortable. So, you know, if you know your dog gets those in the snow, maybe get um, a groomer to trim the hair on the bottom of the feet shorter or get your dog some boots to keep that snow from freezing to the hair on the feet. Um, if your dog has never had snowballs on their feet that you know of, you can watch for signs of lameness when they're walking in the snow. And sometimes if they get them, when you get home, you'll also see them licking, chewing and pulling at their feet, you know, to, mm. to pull out those little bits of ice off the hair. So, you know, you can kind of keep an eye out for that. Um, another issue I see in dogs a lot in the winter is red, itchy, and irritated skin on the feet from exposure to road salt. Um, boots will solve that problem too, of course, because um, they prevent the feet from being in contact with the salt. But for dogs that don't wear boots successfully, you know, you can keep a bucket of water by the door and wash their feet when they come back into the house just to get rid of that salt and dry them well afterward, you know. Um, we also have to be mindful of outdoor dangers to our pets in the winter time. So like us, you know, dogs sometimes like to walk on frozen rivers, lakes, and ponds. Um, they can go through the ice and, you know, God forbid, freeze to death or drown if the ice is too thin. Um, so really, it's best to keep your dog leashed and away from frozen water, you know, unless it's been deemed safe for people to walk on it. Mm. And, you know, so between now and, you know, the really cold months and in the spring, like that's probably the most important. And the last thing I'd mention is um, regarding the housing of dogs that actually live outdoors. Um, keeping dogs as outdoor pets is less and less common, but it's still allowed under the law. Um, it's vitally important that these dogs have all of their needs met, and that can be hard in the winter. You, may, mm -hmm. you have to make sure they have liquid water which might mean having some kind of heated water bowl or access to an indoor heated space with water and they have to have appropriate shelter um, the ospca actually has a brochure you can get um, that gives you ideas on how to build um, an ideal dog house and but they also say you know if the weather's really extreme you may have to bring them in temporarily and incidentally they also have plans for how to build insulated shelters for feral cats out of rubbermaid totes insulation and 
and tape. So if you have a feral cat colony near you or if you support one, you know, you might wish to provide some shelter. Um, the only thing I'd say about that is be careful where you place it. You know, I have personally seen coyotes poking their noses oh. into these types of shelters looking for feral cats. Oh, no. So, oh, you know, make man. sure that that can't happen if you're putting those out. <laughs> Okay, yeah, because wow. that is very counterintuitive. Whoops. Um, what about health-related concerns, Danielle? Anything you want to t tell us about that we should keep in mind? Um, I'd mention a common myth a lot of clients seem to have regarding tick prevention. Um, with exceptions, people generally seem to think that ticks are only a problem during the warmer months. So they only give the tick prevention during the heartworm season from June to November. Um, that isn't true. I actually see more ticks attached to um, pets in the early spring, like March through May, and in the late fall, November and December, than I do in August. Um, wow. I've also seen ticks on pets in January and February after a warm spell. So, you know, we don't get that consistently icy, deep, cold weather, you know, to keep your pets safe from ticks through the winter, um, you know, and so um, if you walk your pet through wooded areas or fields, you know, um, you should probably keep up your tick prevention strategies all year round. And of course, the last thing I'm going to mention is to pay attention to how much you're feeding your pet through the winter. If they're less active, make sure to reduce their food and keep weighing them. You know, we get that annual pattern of weight gain in the winter in a lot of pets. And not all of them lose all of that in the summer. Mm. <laughs> so we Where want to we heard make that sure that before. we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so relatable. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Danielle, thank you so much. This is a great heads up. Uh, I know we have weekly visits with you, but a lot of things to consider before the weather starts getting extremely cold. Great. Okay, we'll see you next week. I'm obviously not Thanks, talking Danielle. about Toronto, if anybody was wondering. Extremely cold. That's a big statement. All right, Danielle Jonkine joins us on Tuesdays for Ask a Veterinarian. And every other week, we talk talk nutrition with Julia Caranches. And today, we want to get into good morning habits, good morning routines to get us energized throughout the day. This is Kelly and Remia. We'll be right back. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Had an incident today trying to get on a Microsoft Teams meeting with my colleagues for AMI Audiobook Review. Jacob and Nisreen. So it was supposed to be an 11 a.m. meeting and uh, I was on it. I thought everybody was just 12 minutes late. Turns out they were on a different meeting. I was on one, they were on another, and we were all technically, like on our ends, if we were to screenshot it, on the same meeting. But we were but. lost. Everybody was lost in the abyss. Like, they were together, I was somewhere else, and we have no idea what happened. Everybody yeah, clicked on the same Teams thing. We had meeting last week, remember, where we <laughs> yeah. couldn't actually share screens and stuff? Like exactly. it just was why everybody all right if you notice in the slide what slide there's no slide it's not saying anything right. we don't hear anything everyone no. was sharing no one's receiving yeah. it we don't know what's right. going on these days maybe sharing with somebody on some other team's meeting or something crazy like yeah. that I, I don't know how like are we all there but not can't find each other shout Pretty out to wild. your friends over at teams guys <laughs> that's going it's on like stranger things you know everybody's in the upside down or whatever it's called Wow, it's the alternate universe. Yes. That's where your stuff was being shown, and that's where you guys were all meeting. Somebody was not on it. the dark web it's in the us. other universe. Mm. Wow. Every other Tuesday, we're joined to talk nutrition with our nutritionist, Julia Caranches. 
Hi, I'm Julia Courageous. Join me on Kelly and Remya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. So as I get older, I, I don't protest this subject, Julia. But just like when you, you know, we get in that mode of hiding our chocolate indulgences and stuff like that, I have to say there are many out there today that are going to say, what? And I know we're trying to prompt people to come up with those great ways as we chat about starting your mornings and, you know, finding those habits that will help you feel energized, at least for the day. Yeah. There's so many things that we could be doing, eating or drinking in the morning that would really benefit us for the day and even longer term, right? But also, you know, waking up at 4 a.m., going for a 10K walk, having a quiet meditation, doing a cold plunge, going for a vitamin IV drip. This is not realistic for most people (laughs) every single morning. Not every, every third. Yeah, every Oof. third day, maybe, sure. But yeah, every right. day. Could be, <laughs> every third imaginary day. Sorry. No, I right. know. On vacation. On vacation. Yeah. Lifetime so, vacation. Right. Right. So then we have to consider, you know, what can, what is realistic? What can I be doing? And there's a lot of small things that we could be doing in the morning that are more user-friendly and therefore easier to execute that will help you. You know, it'll help your mind, your body, and and help you start your day off on the right foot. So that's what I thought we could chat about today so that nobody feels overwhelmed and everybody can feel like they've done something good for themselves to get the day off on the right foot. So not that I would do it first thing when the birds start getting up in the morning saying, Kelly, get up. Come on, let's go. It's time to do the run, the walk, the whatever you do to exercise. But a lot would say exercise is what is great because we know that can we start with that and is it good in the morning and what if you just can't fit the time and how do you make up for it it is it is great i mean it's great anytime you can fit it in but in the morning you know if we want to be nitpicky it's great it helps to release endorphins from the brain which are our feel-good chemicals so it's great for your mood immediately but then also of course there's the numerous long-term effects so if you have time for a walk or 20 to 30 minutes of something that's great but if you don't webmd says that (laughs) even okay not it's not just me you know commenting here but You know, even seven minutes of movement can help energize you and elevate your mood. And this could be body weight movements. This could be some yoga poses that maybe you do in just your pajamas. So you don't even need to change your clothes. Um, So just seven minutes. I mean, set a timer. If you have an Apple Watch, tell it to go for seven minutes. And just seven minutes of stretching, moving, maybe if you have a treadmill, sure. If you don't, doesn't matter. You can just do some movements. Again, gentle yoga poses. Uh, it could be as little as seven minutes. So I think if you frame it like that in your mind, it could be a little bit more di- digestible to fit in. This is like a category of itself when you go on YouTube or even fitness apps and wherever you find curated uh um, fitness, like guided workouts, seven minute exercises is its own thing now. Like you can find so much that's out there to just make a quick um, spurts of exercise available to you during the day. And I think that that's really helpful as well, because, you know, we don't have this 
mindset as we used to maybe or the promotion of like you need to get in an hour a day i think people understand lifestyles are different but also it's realistic isn't yes, it yes, and it gets yep. you to do what you can do take a moment yeah. but you're doing something yeah doing something but also implementing it into realistic circumstances Routines. in your own lifestyles right yeah like walk to work or walk to that bus stop or walk to whatever um instead of uh, taking an uber to work <laughs> Just right, right. I, yeah, like is is there an extra ten minutes that you could be walking somewhere in the day? Like just yeah. like you said, Ramya. Like could you walk to this bus stop or walk to the bus stop that's further away? Maybe mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. a couple of extra blocks yeah. um, and make that a choice. Taking the stairs is obviously something that we've all exactly. heard of multiple times. But there is, I mean, there is a lot of opportunity. And even if it is seven minutes, I mean, I think there's seven minutes we could all maybe cut out from some nighttime you know, social media Doom scrolling. consuming. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You Fair. know, and, and that's a little bit less overwhelming. 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour can be very overwhelming for some people, but seven minutes, yep. maybe not so much. Exactly. That's right. And yep. it, it feels like a smaller chunk that you can handle well, if it's not part of your everyday yes. already. You still feel darn good after doing something because you're getting At some kind of movement. movement. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's move on to something different, which is breakfast. Yes. So many options out there. Should we eat? Shouldn't we eat? Is already a question in and of itself. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this could be a whole segment. We could talk about breakfast. Should we eat? Should we fast? When is a good time to mm -hmm. put food in the belly? Do we believe in breakfast, um, yeah. I, I believe in breakfast, um, unless you've got something going on, like digestive-wise, you know, maybe not so much, but generally speaking, I do think that we should eat, especially if you have a meeting or something going on where you really need to harness your brain power, mm. food is going to be your friend. It's very helpful to properly nourish yourself first thing in the morning. It will help deal with stress. Um, like at all of the stressors of the day, you'll be able to handle more if you're well nourished. If you don't feel like having a 500 calorie meal, that's fine. Don't look, you know, consider options that are smaller in portion, but still have fiber and protein, which we've talked about before. Fiber and protein, mm -hmm. such great options. They keep you full, keep your blood sugar stable. This could be Greek yogurt, a small bowl of Greek yogurt with some chopped fruit or even frozen fruit, you know, then there's no chopping involved and you don't have to worry about having fresh things on hand. It could be a boiled egg that you could boil the night before if you really wanted, or even a couple of days before and a piece of toast, a banana and a handful of almonds and walnuts could be a good option. Yeah. And even one step further, maybe it's just some trail mix that you keep in your in your backpack or your you know your work bag or whatnot that you have on hand just so that you have something in the body we've got some fat in there and some fiber those are all good options when you have time or the stomach for a bigger breakfast maybe you dive into that but also very good option to just start with something small so yes if you yeah. require some brain power you need to fuel it and so having a breakfast even if it's small is a great habit to help with mm. the day. It's a hard thing with people when we snack late, go to bed, which we know we're not really supposed to do, but that can deceive you first thing in the morning, especially if you have had any discomfort or if you're still feeling full. Um, we know ideally you're going to weigh, you're going to you know, finish up eating, go to bed two or three hours later, get up in the morning, have that, that little snack or a breakfast and go out and do your things. Because if you don't and you skip, 
It's a long time. And when you start mm -hmm. getting a distraction at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, I can't wait till lunch. It, it's a tough one. So what is some easy things we can do as a starting point, Julia? Where do you want us if we are saying, I'm at that age, I've got to make the changes. I'm tired of people coming on these programs, Kelly and Romeo, and talking about these things and then reminding me. What should we do? Yes. We should start with a glass of water. Drink a glass mm. of water when you wake up. This will Yay, prevent or help to, yeah, we all, I mean, Kelly, you always come back to water. Um, yep. And you're so right with it. It's always, you know, come back to water. Um, this will help prevent dehydration, which we know is great for the lymphatic system and circulation. It, you know, water will help transport nutrients from food to where they need to go. So when you wake, drink a glass of water. That could be your first habit to implement. Um, you can keep a glass of water beside your bed or in the bathroom if there's space, wherever you think it might be convenient or to remind you to do it is where I would suggest that you keep a glass of water. I mean, some people keep a water, water bottle sorry, beside their bed. That's a great option too. But you know, if you're going to implement one habit, it would be start your day with a glass of water. It gets things going, it's flushing. You know, dehydration causes so many problems, just so many. We could have a whole segment on dehydration. And so water is, you know, the, the essence of life, not to sound so dramatic, mm. but it, it really is. We we need it and we don't drink a lot of it. And I think, you know, people wake up and often have a caffeinated beverage. Oh, yes. Which... You know, and they're lovely. I'm not saying don't have them. But it's but that we, we, to mm -hmm. wake us up mentality, right? Like I need coffee yes. to wake me up. But this is in very much the truth. And we don't think of water of doing the same thing. But as you said, it wakes up all our systems. And also, Julia, what I found is over the years, especially in the, the uh, changes of uh, temperature and dryness and humidity in our own homes, water is what first thing in the morning is what really helps me understand if I feel hydrated or dehydrated throughout the day. When I don't yes. have that start with water in the morning, I find that it's almost unclear um, how hydrated I feel throughout the day. You know, like, do I do I feel good? Do I need more water? Uh, am I thirsty? It's harder, for some reason, it feels blurrier if I didn't have that first drink of water in the morning. I, I agree. And I'm actually going to add to that, you know, am I, am I thirsty? And I'm going to add one more question. Am I hungry? Yes, yes. Water can help a lot of yep. hunger cues. And sometimes if you're actually thirsty, you, you think you're hungry and you keep eating, but you're not satisfying that thirst and you're not going to, you don't feel satisfied, which is, you know, it's not ideal because your, you, your body will be unsatisfied. And so water will help that. And like I said, it will also help your, you utilize the nutrients and the food that you are eating. So helpful, which is also a nice thing about working out in the morning. So if you do exercise in the morning, it usually stimulates you to drink something. Sure. You end up yeah, really sure. noticing it, that you're thirsty. Even mentally, you know, you're supposed to. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yes. You uh, know, before we uh, have to let you go, can you talk about the cold plunge? Yeah, I know. I threw that in in the intro because it's it's kind of you see it, you, you hear about it. It's all the rage right now. Um, yeah. So I right, but I mean, I don't I don't have space for a cold <laughs> plunge anywhere in my dwelling. So what what can we do with that? You can, and I I'm going to tell you guys this that I did do this this morning. Um, you can start your day off with a cold shower. So you you can end with it though. You 
can enter the shower with it hot, do your showering, but then before you get out, you just switch that dial to cold and it will help you with alertness and circulation among other things. And how There's cold so are much you talking? And, yeah. Yank it all the way? So I, yeah, yank it all the way. I mean, I, the, the research right now is saying 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 21 degrees Celsius, which oh, actually doesn't get down so cold it is like in terms of the air but it is cold in terms of the water um mm -hmm. but it's not it's you know it's not jumping in to a lake that you've had to break the ice to get into right. it's not and you're not doing it cold. for 10 minutes so you're not doing yeah, but, you're you not do it quick enough right oh, and, and it's that shock but you, i mean rum start with you cold start water to hot. your face no see that's the problem i start, start nice that. and start cozy and warm practically steaming and then uh have to change it to all the way cold that's hard yeah i did i did hot and then before i got out i yanked the dial over and i <laughs> braced yourself I just, and then did you yeah, almost did. break your neck trying to get out <laughs> no i i felt no? good i felt Were like i had i felt like i should i don't know if it was placebo in my head but it felt great i thought i should do it since we're talking about it today oh Practice yes that's what i preach so yeah yeah yeah, exactly. Well, this is your homework, guys. Anyway, Julia, we can't hear <laughs> yeah. you anymore. It's that time. The clock says we're done. Julia, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye, guys. All right, folks. Cold plunge it. You heard her. Go ahead. That's your homework. Not no. mine. Just, no, but yours. But yours. Uh, Julia Crancis joins us every two weeks opposite wellness right here on Kelly and Rumya. You booted her uh, folks, out before was that? you booted her out before she could assign homework and then you assigned it to us. Yeah, because I made sure we weren't included. Not to us. So again, you're getting plural. Mm -hmm. Cut it out. Yeah, okay. All right. Folks, how is... Oh, yeah. It's This me. is your job. Okay, thank okay, you. Okay, have fun with oh, this. God. Twice I'm here trying to get it in. Okay. <laughs> how is skydiving? Oh, you were stalling again. <laughs> we're trying to talk uh, exercise a little more. How is skydiving beneficial for the physical and mental well-being of our veterans? And we're going to talk more about that with Operation... Ooh... Pegasus Jump. We'll be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Are you... It's Kelly and Remia. Thanks for joining us. 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. 4 to 6 p.m. for the first airing of a, the show on AMI-audio. So, Kels, which ones did you checkbox of the good morning habits and routines that we talked about in nutrition? Water. First thing in the course, morning? But, yep. Uh, water. And I do the oatmeal, uh, oatmeal excuse me, the uh, Greek yogurt. Uh, oh, yeah. And I usually have a piece of fruit. I try yeah. to squeeze that in if I can, but for sure the yogurt. Mm -hmm. And then I go and have an actual breakfast of cereal with some fruit. Okay. Yeah, I know breakfast for me, so we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, but so the you're, water you're not even thing... heard from from uh, whatever, <laughs> let's see, a wake-up time for you. Mm. So you don't do anything involving food until like from 10 o'clock till noon. Maybe. You know, when you get up. Well, yeah, okay. But I walk <laughs> parts of my day, so that's uh, the implementation and of the, the seven-minute exercise. And the rest of it, I sleep because then, I'm, I'm yeah. weak. Shh. I'm not eating breakfast. We're focusing on the good. Glass right. half full. So, you, so do you do the water since Jeff Ryman and I have yes, sworn yes. into this the last few years? Yeah, we love the water thing uh, on the show yep. and the team. We talk water all the time. So good on us, you know? Pat on the back. Um, we're going to talk about skydiving a little bit. Operation Pegasus Jump is a uh, an initiative that 
aims to build resiliency by providing recreational challenges to support the physical, mental, and emotional well-being of veterans. And they serve uh, members in first respondents. And when we say recreational challenges, as I said, we're talking about skydiving. So in honor of Remembrance Day that's coming up, we're re we're talking today to retired SGT major Tim Turner on the show, who's also one of the directors of the organizations. Uh, Tim, thank you for coming on the show. How are you? Hey, very good. Thanks for having me. So I would love to hear more about you, uh, if you can describe a little bit about yourself, your career, before we get started on Operation Pegasus Jump. Yeah, absolutely. I spent uh, 23 years in the regular Army with Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry and uh, two commando Canadian Airborne Regiment, and also spent some time with the Canadian Forces Parachute Team, the Skyhawks. I've got uh, tours in Cyprus, Croatia, Afghanistan, Middle East, and uh, West Africa, Sierra Leone. Wow. So much we could talk about. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Hey, go ahead, Tim. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. And then when I retired, I uh, rolled into the reserve, so I was still serving. Um, and I joined the Alberta Sheriff's and I was with the Executive Protection Unit uh, bodyguarding the Premiers of Alberta. And I went through five Premiers. That's absolutely fantastic. I mean, lots of good conversations. There are lots of lots of stories that you know, whatever you you you, I'm sure get asked to tell that you're comfortable with. But you know, Tim, I always think about Remembrance Day, and we all, I think, have our own take and our own viewpoints. Um, for myself, on the level of you know, back in the day when I remember, hey, we're off school to think about this. This wasn't a day, you know, you you would watch services on TV and do something recognizing the day. And in my case, I always felt very lucky to have people defend this country as we continue and very proud. But I'm always curious for a person, especially in your position, what does Remembrance Day itself mean to you at this time? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very close thing. Uh, Afghanistan, for instance, I had 136 men in my company. Um, so we're the direct action company. And I had uh, seven killed in action and over 30 wounded over the eight months on that particular tour. Uh, in Croatia, we had a few people killed in action. We had a few people wounded, but we weren't the flavor of the day. So a lot of that wasn't reported back here. And um, yeah, so I mean, that stuff hits home. It, it was, it's personal. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And thank you for sharing some of that detail with us. How can we honor um, Remembrance Day? And I, as you said, or as I just said, it is personal for um, us individually. We're talking about different parts of the population, thinking of Remembrance Day and recognizing it in very different ways, I guess. So how mm -hmm. can we honor it and how can we learn more about it? Where would you send us? Yeah, I think it's important to um, spend that time, go to your local Remembrance Day service, find out where it is. And uh, I understand people are busy and, you know, that might not be on top of their agenda, but at least take a couple of minutes out your day to remember um, at the 11th minute. It's important. And, uh, you know, you can just educate yourself and watch some of the shows and uh, mm. the nationals. The National Remembrance Day is uh, broadcast. Uh, I encourage you, if you can't make it out to one if uh, due to weather, watch that on TV. And when mm -hmm. we're in school uh, growing up, it's a given, right? It's a given that we recognize Remembrance Day through assemblies and we're all gathered together because we're all in the same building. But you're right, as we leave, uh, we have to take the, the initiative. So it's important that we understand that there are things still going on all around us where we can actually go and recognize. 
Oh, absolutely. There's all sorts of things going on in the community. Local legions are running them. Uh, small towns run them. Uh, there's always the, as you said, in the, the schools, mm. uh, they have it a, a day prior or two days prior. Uh, it's just good to get involved in that and wear your poppy. Yeah. Tim, should we be doing more? Um, would you, if it were up to you, should we recognize it in, in, on the 11th in a different way or or do a little more than we do in a country that I know many of us may come from other places where, um, you know, it, things are different, what they recognize a, a little bit about the, the, the wars, the, the services, the what impact it's had on them in a country like Canada, what would you like to see? I think we're seeing... Uh... What we have, I think, is good. Um, we do have quite a good uh, participation in these events. Uh, I was living in Alberta. That's where our brigade is in Edmonton. And I used to run the largest uh, parade in Alberta, which was at the Butter Dome at the University of Alberta. We'd have 5,000 spectators. And uh, we would have close to 800 on parade. Along with, that was the only broadcast uh, service in the province. So that was also televised. Um, wow. My daughter's a principal in uh, Edmonton, and they the schools do a fantastic job at educating the kids and holding assemblies and bringing the veterans in. Um, so, yeah, I think we're set up for success. I think it's going well. That's what I like to hear. I just always wonder, being especially with the schools, not really knowing, but just wondering, is there more? And and again, we all have our own moments and things and doing it the way that we're comfortable with. Would you tell us a little bit about Operation Pegasus Jump and its mission? Yeah, absolutely. So Operation Pegasus Jump, a bunch of us got uh, army guys and girls and, uh, you know, we're big skydivers and we thought, you know what, we love this. Uh, wouldn't this be great if we could bring other veterans and first responders um, and, you know, get together, learn how to skydive. And for those who are qualified skydivers, um, they can come out and we'll get them recertified, get them requalified, and they can go and uh, jump while we're running jump training for the first jump uh, people. We also run tandem jumps for the people who don't want to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what we're doing is we're giving a, a positive atmosphere. So veterans, serving members, and first responders. First responders see the stress every day. And, uh, you know, so what we're going to give them is positive stress and in a, in a militaristic environment. So they're getting this camaraderie. They're getting this brotherhood and sisterhood. And it's just a lot of fun. And I tell you, you know, we had the drop zone set up like a forward operating base, like you'd be overseas. That was the first thing some of the people says, oh my God, I feel like I'm overseas. Mm. And uh, they felt comfortable and they felt comfortable with the staff because we're all military. Right. And, you know, so we've designed everything in a military way. So once their jump uh, training's done, you know, we, we celebrate by watching videos, making fun of each other. Uh, then we continue <laughs> jumping. And mm. on the, the last day of the fourth day, we have a, an actual military parade. And we have the local uh, elders come out and bless the parade. We jump flags in. We have the Legion pipe and drums drum, um, pipe us out. And then we do a wings presentation. So what you see on my shirt here, we've made that into a set of jump wings, and we present those to everyone. So they're coming. They're getting that military parade. They're getting that sense of accomplishment. And my favorite thing is we had a, a fellow from the Canadian Special Operations Regiment uh, mm -hmm. jump. And uh, he got blown up overseas a couple of times. 
when he landed on the ground, first thing he said was, I feel like a warrior again. Mm. So the mission was achieved just by listening to that, but seeing the smiles and everybody yeah. and seeing everybody uh, just w uh, open up again, like, you know, quite a few people with PTSD show up and they're very withdrawn and quiet. And after day two, they are alive again. And that's amazing. Gosh. But wow. the really cool thing is, you know, people didn't just come and do one. I was expecting, hey, you know, to do your first jump. People just kept continue, continuing to jump. And then we had wives doing it. So at the end of the day, we had a bunch oh. of couples that got totally qualified skydiving. Now they're skydiving couples. Which is also wow. a huge point, right? Like we can't just take that with a grain of salt because there's so much separation that comes with going into the military with family, with your partners, and then the mental separation yeah. that happens when you come back and you cannot relate uh, to society as we know it, like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And then you're taking this activity and you're bringing people into it and, and having that bonding happening. This is incredible impact oh it's massive and that's the element a lot of people forget about is the spouses the spouses yes. where this mission when the when their husbands or wives deploy is stressful and you know i had all these missions my son is in my was in my regiment now he's uh pararescue and as a search and rescue technician and uh, i was supposed to be on the same mission as him in 2008 obviously I wouldn't be assigned together. Right. And my wife said, there's no way you two are deploying together. I can't handle it. Mm. And I said, okay, you're right. So I stayed. And then I was a basket case. So it was the first time I got left at home, left at home. And uh, I tell you, I, I was a basket case. So I don't know how she did it with all, all these years. Right. Wow. That's interesting too, for you to get a hold of that feel what that's like. But what you said, going back, it's amazing to think about what this does for people, the, the mental state, the physical, and the camaraderie, and just the relatability. There is just win, win, win all over the place here. It is. And, uh, you know, you find some people like, I don't want to jump out of a plane. I, I said, great. Right. But just show up on day four, when we have our big parade and steak dinner and mm -hmm. join us mm -hmm. and meet people you new friends like we have people now that never met each other before and now they're going on vacations together so to me that's success for oh, me yes. i have i have uh, pretty bad ptsd and uh so this takes a lot of effort for me some days i can't even get myself out to the drop zone mm -hmm. um so by being there to teach on pegasus that's my accountability i have to go so that's my mission but for me, if on a normal day, it can be a beautiful Saturday, and I'm going to go, hey, I'm just going to go knock off some jumps. So I'm all excited. I wake up in the morning, and I look, then I'm, I, I just can't get out of the house. Right. You know, you... So it's a constant, constant battle of, of, of fighting that stuff. Um, yeah, it's, I, I can't put it into words, but, you know, Um, I wanted to say that uh, with Tim Turner, I'm not sure if we lost you really, but the the incredible amount that we get from this, just this conversation about what it really means for an individual, and it could be so different for each individual, but what it really means to go through the impact of being part of the military, coming out of it, and having uh, something like this to channel 
not just a fun, but everything else military, you know, and just showing up and even the obligation and the accountability part of it, but not just that, being, uh, having the camaraderie, having somewhere to go to and having mm -hmm. an outlet. There's, it's a lot. There's a lot to go. Tim, we're wrapping up with you here. I wanted to say thank you. And is there any last words you want to say about um, just where people can find out information about Pegasus Jump or anything else? Yeah, so you could follow us on Instagram at uh, Operation Pegasus Foundation. Mm -hmm. And our website is going down. Uh, we're just changing providers right now. So uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll be up and running. It'll be Op Pegasus Foundation. Okay. And uh, awesome. you can track us there. Okay. Wow. Thanks, Tim. Thanks thank for sharing. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. And thanks for running something like this. This is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> is it ever? Yeah. And skydiving is, for, for people who loved it the first time, yeah, there's always this rush of wanting to do it again. So this is a wonderful space to do that. We were speaking with retired Sergeant Major Tim Turner, talking to us about Remembrance Day, of course, for that first half of the conversation in relation uh, the Operation Pegasus Jump Organization. Stay tuned because we have another hour of Kelly and Ramya coming your way. And in that hour, we're talking parenting with Lucia Belafonte. The question is, what do kids wish their parents knew? Also, we're checking in with our friends from W. Ross McDonald School, and we're hearing about unique creations of individual land acknowledgments made by the student. Also, just catching up on how the school is feeling so far. And after the break, we're talking about the Winter Wonderland Market at the Sheraton Hotel in St. John's, Newfoundland with community reporter Kim Thistle. We'll be right back. And Grant Hardy. I'm oh, out of yeah. here. See you tomorrow. Bye, Kels. <laughs> Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya. We're starting off hour two here, and I completely forgot, but obviously Kelly's here to remind us that he's gone, because, you know, vacation starts early, I guess. Grant Hardy is in. Grant, welcome. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Anytime I'm invited to this party, the Kelly and Ramya party, uh, is a good day for me. Yeah, you almost and got over-invited by uh, almost <laughs> joining me in the first hour also. but Yeah, ooh. and what a fantastic hour uh it sounds like you guys had yes. uh so i'm congratulations glad that thank you we got all the technical difficulties sorted out mostly and it went well yes exactly we did and uh to kick off the second hour you're gonna tell mm. us what's up yeah so it's time now to check in with one of our community reporters and today we've got kim thistle joining us with some news from St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. Hey, Kim, welcome to the program. Hey, good to see you guys. Hello. Yeah. You too. Really How's everything? <laughs> uh, we're good, I think. Always excited to chat with you. And we've got some really cool topics here today. So first of all, this is a cool one. Can you tell us about <laughs> who knit ya? I was just going to ask you, I was just going to say to you, who knit ya, Grant? <laughs> and would you know how to answer that if you were somewhere in Newfoundland, Labrador, uh, and someone oh, no. said that to you? What would you say? Uh, oh, oh, crap. Uh, I have oh, to no. run. Goodbye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I would not know what to say. 
Is it like who's and, your... you know, I, I, Oh, sorry. Mm. No, I don't know. I was just going to start guessing all over the place, but I feel this is not a quiz. Tell us, Kim. <laughs> no, no, in a sense, it could be. But I, I really like the topic. Of, we always... I always bring in something about music and entertainment. Mm-hmm. I try to do that in all my community reports every month because we've got such a wealth of talent here in Newfoundland, Labrador, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, I know the rest of Canada, but I'm a bit biased, right? <laughs> so I I really like the topic of this. So who knit you is a Newfoundland expression, meaning who are your parents? Where do you come from? <gasps> oh, cool. That was my first guess. I'm serious. Okay, go on. Yeah, so so it's a, it's a, a unique unique take, and it's so my first job as a guidance counselor. I was I was posted, you know, I got a position out out outside of St. John. So being a townie, we didn't necessarily use all these you know expressions and stuff like like that. And I remember working in you know in the guide I was a guidance counselor and being in the office and a student would come to the office and the first question would be may not so much be who knit you but it was always and who are your parents and where are you from and i i was so blown away by this because you know and then the connection was made oh your aunt was such and such who worked at the supermarket and wasn't your dad the fella who did the and before you know the student came to the office probably to say you know drop off a message or make a phone call and you're having a five minute conversation on who their parents are and where they're from and who their other people are so it's a, it's really a unique thing because we're uh, i do this connection you know like um we're all linked together yes because somehow someone knows someone who knows someone very much so here in newfoundland so oh that's really this, kind of endearing it, it is. It is endearing. And I guess if you live in a small community, you might be thinking, geez, I don't want everyone knowing my business, but there's no way out of it, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, you know. so this is a wonderful topic, I thought, because Who Knit You is, this, is um, at the Art and Culture Center on November the 6th to the 10th at 7.30. And it's at the Barbara, Barbara Barrett theater which is a smaller theater on like a basement theater and it's very cozy very intimate and i think it'd be a wonderful setting for this particular event because it's our premier fiddler kelly russell who's you know who's he's won the order of canada he's been a performer with the wonderful grand band you may not know that but that was a newfoundland band years ago when i was younger and they you know peeing in the mall was one of their song at the mall <laughs> i can't sing i won't sing i won't do it and Figgy Duck was another, you know, Newfoundland Irish band and Irish descendant. So he's performed with all these. So he's got a wealth of knowledge as a young man. And he's sharing his stories as a young musician and coming along and playing music. On top of that, his father was a, a, a famous Newfoundland writer, Ted Russell. Mm-hmm. And his father used to have in the 1950s on CBC these um, radio shows, Uncle Mose, M-O-S-E. And it was humor stories about how he saw Newfoundland Labrador. So you put that combination. He's he's going to be performing his own music and with fiddling music and other music and interspersed with stories that his father wrote. So I think it would be a lovely, intimate evening to go down and listen to all this and and fiddle music i don't know if you've heard fiddle music it's it's, great i I love listening great so essentially like a one-man show with music and stories and culture more importantly sounds really intriguing Exactly. That's a great way to summer, summarize. And it's a reasonable price, like $30 full price and that, and 25 for students and seniors. Mm. And, you know, and it, and the, it's accessible because there's a wheelchair access into the art and culture center. There's an elevator to get down to the basement. 
I find are very accommodation accommodating when I show up using my white cane and giving me assistance to find my seat and whatnot. And, and the, the basement theater is a small, intimate setting. I right. think it would be a really fun night. Which is Fantastic. kind of a, like remembering our kitchen parties in Newfoundland. Again, you know, just small concerts, intimate, uh, very well-known concept, right? It's really lovely, Kim. I'm wondering if the next one is another staple uh, around St. John's, which is the Winter Wonderland Market at the Sheraton Hotel. This is happening this weekend, the 11th and 12th. Yes, I'm not sure it's a regular state. Like I'm finding so many markets are coming up. Oh, I bet you, know, you like are. I, I think mm. that you know, get your shopping local here in Newfoundland, Labrador, which is a wonderful thing because they're happening across the island. And there's always, you know, really like Christmas at the glacier is a very big staple one. But the Sheraton, I'm not sure, maybe a regular thing. So this is November the 11th on Remembrance Day from 12 to 6 p.m. and on Sunday mm. from. Um, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It doesn't appear to be a entry fee. However, they're doing fundraising for the Royal Canadian Legion efforts like the support legion and the gathering place. And the gathering places are very, both of them are really worthwhile causes. So it makes me think they must be having ticket draws and things like that. So bring extra cash to buy tickets. The gathering place is for homeless individuals and they get a lot of services like from haircuts and wash your clothes to, you know, support financial assistance so both of these are good charity and you're getting your christmas shopping done as you're there browsing around and mm. i'm sure there'll be knitted goods and wooden goods and baked goods everything you know what right. the, honestly those markets are the best places to get your gifts because yep. all these things like this per, this person likes tech this person likes whatever like everybody likes those like homemade mm. you know gifts that you find in the market they're just such great stocking stuffers i agree and, and even a, a gift itself like a hat and mitts or and my my son and his girlfriend are getting a new puppy so she said they she got out and got her a new ornament made for the puppy and with the puppy's <laughs> name on it right so <laughs> get out and get your you know between an ornament right on up to you know a piece of wood art yeah and there's a what did you how many vendors are going out for this oh, one i don't Oh, I, I can't remember. It seems like a very big, like the Sheraton Hotel. We're talking yeah, a big it's ball, a so large amount. I don't large, know why I don't yeah, have I it. Different, different venues think, going to be there. So, I and think there may be some that you. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. It may be some that you may have seen at other markets. So that's not unusual. That you know, people. This is the you know locals, artists, and studios mm. will set up yeah. at different. Uh, there are over 90 vendors by the way so yeah, i was gonna oh. it's just, even if it's just talking to vendors you want to do because it's always interesting talking to people especially who uh you make their products then this is the place to be yes nice exactly and you, you know what we as well. we are getting a little short for time but real quick oh. the annual downtown st john's christmas parade november 26th oh, my favorite i gotta dance i do a happy dance because for me this was always even before children and when i had my children especially when my kids were younger i is was the santa claus parade and for me this kicks off getting in ready for the christmas season so it's every year downtown st john's parade sunday november 26th the date is the following weekend december 3rd should there be inclement weather because it's hard to know dress bundle up we always do dress in layers and you know visit from saint nick and you're going to have um you know choirs and dance studios and air cadets and music and 
and they also take the Canada Post are usually there collecting letters for Santa and Aww. Newfoundland Power usually goes along and collects for the food bank, cash or um, food items. So it's always a good cause. Get you into the spirit and get ready for the Christmas season. And when when Jolly Old Saint Nick comes at the end and it's really cool because <laughs> you'll call out to different children. Hi, Susan. Hello, Bob. <laughs> you know, it's really, you know, it's, it's exciting seeing the, the, the glee on the children's faces. Do people uh, live along the parade route, Kim? Is yeah. it residences? Yes, they do. Okay, yes, yeah. Yes. yeah. So, but not, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do, no, maybe that's not an accurate thing. I think it'd be a street over more so. Like these are the main routes, like the, that the, the businesses are on. That I'm, would be where you're going downtown. Okay, I'm just imagining like, you know, people having a lazy day, they're in bed still, and then they hear the parade coming along and jumping into their uh, <laughs> slippers and dragging on their coats just to go say hi to Santa out their door. Yeah, well, I don't know if you'd be wearing your slippers. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> no, mm -hmm. your shoes. The streets are near, the Jelly Bean Row houses are near that area. Mm. Like you've heard me talk yes, about yes. that. Oh, right? we've visited so them, in yeah. the heart of downtown. Right. Seems like definitely a uh, go to the parade. I'd love to know what kind of resources. Maybe it's just bringing that, you know, that sighted uh, buddy to just uh, yeah. describe it. But it sounds, this is really the advantage, I think, of, you know, a smaller communities. You get something like this that, that that's just so charming where everybody kind of knows each other. I'm sure, you know, St. Nick, you know, Santa probably knows some of the kids uh, as well. And, uh, you know, everyone just hangs out and gets along yeah, together. It's a gifting. But I, I, I thank you for bringing that up. Yes, you will need a sighted guide because, you know, the, or even the, the described what's happening. You know, this is, but you'll hear the music. You'll know that, the, you know, but they'll tell of you course. that here comes the dancers from Judy Nee Dance Studio or or things like that. So, yes, we will, you know, I do get, we need described. And um, I would say accessibility for getting there. Downtown, you know, we've got the twists yeah. and turns and we've got the sidewalks and, mm. yeah, and trying Absolutely. to find that spot, that perfect spot, so, you know, the vantage point to see. Something. I would think so. <laughs> well, listen, we are out of time here, but what a wonderful and charming update. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about those events. Oh, well, thank you for having me and take care. Take, see you okay. later. You too. Kim Bissell is our community reporter in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. And we check in with our community reporters Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays to kick off the second hour. Also, on the first Tuesday of the month, we have a monthly check-in with W. Ross McDonald School. We got some communication students over there who want to tell us what's been going on with the school year, with the class. Also, some unique creations that they've uh, put together. And we want to find out what they're doing for Remembrance Day over there. We'll be right back. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. We're continuing this second hour of Kelly and Ramya, minus Kelly, plus Grant. So it's really Grant and Ramya right now. And we've got some check-ins we want to do. But before that, Grant, I wanted to ask you, uh, did you, were you a frequent um, Santa Claus parade goer or any kind of winter Christmas festival goer? You know, not really, to be honest. I have this this really funny story because one of the things for us is, like, 
being born blind, I'm always like, why does Santa Claus always sound so different? And when I was about, <laughs> when I was about four, we were at like a mall or something and Santa's like, ho, 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 hello, who are you? And I said, hi, I'm Grant. <laughs> who might you be? Um, so <laughs> kind of missed out on a lot of that magic, but oh uh, there you go. That's epic. Yeah. Yourself? No. <laughs> I don't go to any of these either, but I agree that, um, you know, when you think of a character, we associate with voice more than anything else, obviously. And and so if the voice keeps changing, <laughs> you're thinking, who am I like, talking what to? what is up? What <laughs> yeah. is up with this? Right, exactly. That is hilarious, though. Who might you be? <laughs> All right, let's uh, check in with our friends from W. Ross McDonald School. So W. Ross is based in Brantford, Ontario. And we check in with some of our friends slash communication students once a month here on the show. And this is November now, so this is, I think this is our, only our second check-in. We have different students joining us every time. Today we're joined by Nian Gabo and Maya, two students from the communications class. Uh, hey to both of you. Hello. Hi. Hi, nice to have you. So we want to talk about a couple different things. Um, first, Maya, starting with you, how has the school year been so far? Does November um, feel like it's come early or? It's definitely flown by fast. That's for sure. Um, it's definitely s super crazy, especially in high school and with everything going on. And uh, What grade are you in now? Or 12. Okay. Okay. So you're potentially graduating this year too. So it is a busy yes. year for you. And uh, it is. any particular classes you're enjoying? Highlights? Um, I'm definitely enjoying communications um, and the Indigenous Studies mm -hmm. and um, the drama class. Okay. We'll talk more about Indigenous Studies with you in a sec. How about you, Yungabo? How's the school year going for you? What What are some of those highlights? What are you working on? What are you enjoying? Um, so honestly, like Maya said, this year so far been crazy. Uh, it's only been like a few months, but like, yeah, the stress is real. Uh, but <laughs> oh, I remember. Um, considering like this is my like um, fourth year, so grade twelve as well, and I have like all academics, uh, so it's kind of hard. But honestly, it, it's 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 going. It's I'm getting there. But um, yeah, highlights of uh, classes. Honestly, right now, like like I said, all my other classes are like academic, but communications, it's not all that hard. Like I, at least I enjoy like some out of it. Like it's it's great communications, I would say. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. What have you been doing in communications thus far? Any projects you want to quickly throw to Nyangavo? Um, let's see. Honestly, nothing specific, but um, we like the big thing. I feel like I've worked on like so far right now. It's like. Uh, my land acknowledgement, which took quite a while, but I was happy with it. And honestly, all the um, morning shows I've made, I feel like they have helped me uh, a lot, and I enjoy doing that. And these are the morning announcements? Uh, like morning shows? Sorry, oh, okay, the shows, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely, for me, is one of those things that makes me, like, jealous of like, oh, I wish I'd gone to W. Ross McDonald is your communications program. It just sounds really intriguing. Like if you had to give a broad overview, like is it mostly radio broadcasting that you guys do, you know, podcasting, like a morning show, what, what would that consist of? 
Um, so to me, a morning show is like we basically like it's like playing a song songs like for the morning, right? Like before, if like school actually starts or before classes start, we have a, we play like a few songs for a few minutes, and then like there's one person announcing their songs, last song is playing, and then like announcements will start after that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That, that opportunity sounds like it would be really cool to have. Yeah. It's good practice. Yeah. Uh, Maya, have you been working on morning announcements or morning show or what in communications is uh, taking up your time? Um, so like Nyongabo, I've been doing the announcements. I've been, made a couple morning shows and I've done tech for the announcements as well. Nice. Are you enjoying tech or is that something you're just uh, interested in so you're checking out? Um, I like the tech part of it. My favorite part of it, though, would have to be making the morning shows and um, doing the announcing. Announcing. Okay. So, like, actually doing on-air stuff. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, and you mentioned the land acknowledgement. So we want to talk about that and, and your Indigenous studies side as well. But tell us about the land acknowledgements. Can you give us a, an actual explanation of what it is you guys were doing? So we um, we were taking a challenge and making the our per own personal land land acknowledgments because people here were getting like we noticed people weren't paying attention so we wanted to change it up a bit and just basically change it up every week and there's been a, a land acknowledgement every week for the past six weeks that you play on uh... yeah. Okay, on the radio. How, how do you? Sorry, Rami, go ahead. Mm, go ahead. Mm, how do you? How do you kind of change it up to, I guess, capture people's attention and, and interest? So we basically made our very own land acknowledgments to acknowledge our land here in Brantford. Um, so it it still consisted of the treaties and the ter like this is the home of the Anish Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee and neutral peoples. Yeah. Um, so for example, um, instead of ours, we're our original one where, Oh my God, I'm going to botch this because it no can't remember it. Um, it was, we would like to acknowledge that Branford is situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples, past and present. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the Indigenous Studies and in Communications, we each made our own. Right. And we actually have some of right. the... Um the audio of these original or personalized land acknowledgements, if you will. So let's hear yours first, and then we can move from there. All right. We would like to acknowledge that our school grounds in Brantford are situated on the traditional home of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral people, past, present, and future. And it is situated on treaty land, which is part of the Haldeman Tract. While we reside on stolen land now, we want to be working together to make it safe and inclusive for all. Okay, just to get a back-to-back -back of it, let's also listen to uh, Nyangabo's land acknowledgement also. 
We acknowledge with appreciation and respect the indigenous peoples of this land as we recognize their long-standing relationship with the territory we here in Brentford inhabit today. As we continue to learn and grow together on the shared territory of the natural people Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee, we recognize that over time, many people have and will call this land home. As the current inhabitants of this land, we also have the responsibility to care for it, making it a home for all. Mm. Well, I would imagine that would catch people's attention just because they obviously come from your your hearts. Like they, yeah. they're very meaningful and authentic and compassionate. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Now, when you um, went about, I'm curious, okay, Niangabo, starting with you, when you went about writing your own land acknowledgements, did you find it uh, challenging initially? Did you look to each other to kind of help each other out, or did you feel inspired uh, from a certain angle or perspective? How was it like? Because I've also done this, where I had to, you know, recite a land acknowledgements in, in different scenarios, and the mm. first, second, third time I did it, I felt very... Uh, like I didn't want to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or how mm -hmm. could I really put into words. I also felt like maybe I didn't know enough to write a, a land acknowledgement that way. You know what I mean? There are nerves. Yeah. No, literally, that's how I felt. Like, I was happy. I was like, I'm given a chance to do something this big and people are going to hear this, but yep. like, can I do it? Um, but... I was nervous. For example, like, honestly, like, I didn't know what to do. And especially English, like, English is not, like, my like my strong suit. I, I like, I, it's not my first language. So I was like, mm. how am I going to write something like this? How, like, where am I going to begin? And um, and so now, like Maya said, we wanted to change it a bit. Uh, like, it was always Miss Galen's, our teacher, who is our communication teacher right now, uh, we always played hers, right? So she knew what they were. So I was like, okay. I kind of like talked to her. I was like, what did you do? How did you decide? Where did it begin? La, da, da, da. Mm. And uh, she was like, honestly, it's all up to you. And I was like, what do you, and she asked me what I wanted to write about. And I was like, I am not sure where to begin. Um, mm. But then I was like, and she, it was like a lot of, uh, like she asked me questions and I was like, okay, I kind of have an idea of what, what I want. Then she was like, okay, I get that. She she got the idea of that I'm trying to write something about unity and coming together. And mm. I was like, yeah, I guess so. It sounds right. <laughs> and then she was like, just do a bit more research. And then honestly, I tried to do that. And just a lot of help from her. And I was hearing, because like we were working on it as a class. So I was hearing everybody's office ideas and what they were doing. I feel like that helps me out, but it was a whole process. Do, Maya, do you want to talk a little bit about your journey creating yours? Um. So originally it was a, a task in my Indigenous Studies class. Um, and then Miss Gillen wanted to do something similar. So writing it, I kind of got some inspiration from that class and hearing um, the stories and the just the perspective of Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think um, both of you, like, what you're really telling us is that the project worked. <laughs> the intention behind <laughs> yes. doing something like this, right? Because we don't want to just hear it. And we talk about this with the national anthem all the time. Like, are we listening? Are we, do we know what this means? What does it mean to us personally? And there's so much around, like, like, do we even care, right? So this, obviously, the project around this, and for you, Maya, twice, I guess, was to find out what it is about this land acknowledgement sits with you. And um, yeah. and, and it's, it's so vital, guys. Thank you so much. We don't have um, any more time with you left. I wish we did, but we'll chat with maybe the two of you again next month. Amazing. Thank you. All, All right. right. Thank Th you. Thanks for your time. Talk to you later. We were speaking with Niangabo and Maya, two students from the communications class at W. Ross McDonald School. Uh, shout out to Ms. Kayla Gillen for uh, always helping us coordinate these segments. We didn't get to remember in state, but they do have a an assembly, I believe, sometime this week. So a lot of recognition there as well. After the break, we're going to come back to talk parenting with Lucia Belafonte. And it is very... Um, relatable conversation or you know great back-to-back -back following this convo with our friends from w ross because we're talking about what kids wish their parents knew be back with that on kelly and ramia it's fun insightful and inclusive kelly and ramia return in a minute Grant and Ramia here on Kelly and Ramia. And Grant, I wanted to ask you, because you didn't join us in the first hour, uh, do you carry cash? Uh, I I don't. I literally just have plastic. Sometimes I literally just have <laughs> Apple Pay. And the times when something doesn't work out, uh, it's like, oh, crap. Like, I literally don't even have, like, a card Your to leave card. anything. I just have Apple Apple Pay. Uh, but you know what? I kind of get through it all, but should really carry that cash. Yeah, exactly. Always shop with a friend so your friend can uh, take over when you can't. <laughs> but but um, do you have an Apple Watch with Apple Pay on there? I do. I do. I have a, okay, yeah. a phone and an Apple Watch. So you don't even have to take your phone out. Mm, sometimes there are those glitches. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, well... Uh, it's time now to check in with Lucia Belafonte for our parenting talk. Are you ready to learn, laugh, and maybe even cry a little? Join me, Lucia Belafonte, as we explore how disability can affect your parenting journey. I'll share advice and stories to help you grow in confidence and courage. Lucia, welcome to the show. Really glad to be chatting with you for uh, the first time here myself. Uh, but me and Rami are looking forward to this one. And it's intriguing, the subject, because today we're talking with you about what kids wish their parents knew. Yeah. Hi, Grant. Nice to be here with you. Yes, absolutely. So I thought about what to talk about during this segment, and I was thinking over my career as a classroom teacher, itinerant version teacher, and now when I do some coaching, and the same concepts kept coming over and over to my mind. And that was that whether a child was young or older and, you know, even into adulthood, 
the things that they were saying that they really wish their parents knew was that they wish that they would be um, better listeners, communicate better, and also respect them a little bit more. So let's kind of delve into each of those. Uh, first of all, listening. Can you explain exactly what you mean by that? Yeah, so most of the kids were talking about like they wish that when they spoke, their parents would really hear what they were saying, not hear what they thought they were saying or hear what um, they wanted to hear, but listening to the words of the child and then also not dismiss what they're talking about. So sometimes, you know, for a child, a conversation was really serious and their parents seemed to dismiss it as something that they could talk about later. And then that later either didn't happen or it didn't happen in the same way. And so the child wasn't as open later on. So basically it's like when your child is willing to talk, I, I strongly suggest we sit down and we listen carefully. Yeah, I, re I remember reading mm. something and, you know, I don't know exactly what what ages we're referring to, whether, mm -hmm. you know, sort of adolescents count or just more young, young children. Um, but I remember reading something about like all the stuff that adults like tease kids about you know like their mm -hmm. their like first crush or their like whatever their their playtime not working out but like for a kid you have the same feelings if not more intense as an adult would have about a similar subject which can feel really just bewildering and betraying to be teased yeah, I, I, you know what, I get that. It's, it's almost like we forget as adults that not only are, are our children sensitive, mm -hmm. but that they do have the same feelings as we do as an adult. And, and I like that you said, Grant, you know, maybe more so because they're much more sensitive. I think it's, it's that, that innocence and that rawness and the newness to a lot of experiences that make it that way. Yeah. You know, it's true, too, that we sometimes feel like we push people, and this is not just uh, parents and mm -hmm. children, but in dynamics, we push people to communicate in ways that we want to understand them, and a lot of that mm -hmm. times that can be verbal, it can be just communication styles, but uh, it, it's often probably a good idea, as you said, Lucia, to just listen to how people are communicating with us. And with mm -hmm. children, verbal is sometimes the weakest point of communication, but there's so many other aspects that we can pay attention to, literally just start paying attention to as communication. Yes, absolutely. So not only do we listen to what a child is actually saying, but then we can listen to, and I'll put it in quotes, nonverbal cues. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I think of nonverbal cues, I mean, like, you know, has your child changed in some way? For example, has their personality changed? Um, have their sleep patterns changed? Their eating habits, their interests, um, you know, has something and, and it can be a small change or it can be a number of changes combined. And that usually will indicate that something is amiss. And no, no, we've had this conversation before when we've talked about either bullying or a child being um, depressed or anxious. And we can look for these changes. But I remember... Um, you know, I'll speak from experience. For me, one of my children had the change of they were fine sleeping in the dark and then all of a sudden they needed the light on. Right. 
And so we had to explore that. And there was a deeper meaning to that. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like when a kid suddenly doesn't want to eat, you know, their favorite meal, they're like, I'm not Mm -hmm. hungry. And it's like, oh, cool, you don't want your dessert? Okay, you know, that's fine. But like, there also could be, you know, some underlying, you know, maybe they're being bullied. Or it's even hard sometimes to articulate the difference between sort of like, I'm mad and I'm hurting, you know, when you're young. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I love that, you know, as uh, young children don't have the language to be as articulate as we do as adults. But then also an older child, you know, if we're not taking the time to really have those conversations and listen attentively, when they are communicating with us, they might find it challenging to then later on express themselves when something Mm -hmm. is not quite right. And perhaps they need our guidance. Oh, yeah. Like with so many other things you've pointed out during these segments, we have to set up the environment, set up that safe Mm -hmm. space, that brave space for people, uh, for children to come to parents when things are happening and not just now that it's happening, be like, "Uh oh, how do we deal with this? Lucia, what uh, kinds of things are children referring to when we're talking about communication? Oh, I love that one because um, it took me by surprise at times. And really, they were talking about communicate. Um, I'll be specific to my students who were either uh, blind or um, had low vision. And they really wanted to know what was going on around them and wanted to know with accuracy, detail, and the intention of the parent making certain that they were sharing that information. And I thought that's a, that was a big one for us to talk about. That is a huge one. I mean, obviously, because we're missing so many visual cues um, yes. growing up, and a lot of what people pick up on average is an able-bodied person or a person without uh, vision mm-hmm. impairment is visual. You just copy, you mirror, and it, whether it's just us walking yes. around in this world or the way we want to understand the world as it is, it's all description at the end of the day. It is. And and one of the things that was very specific is that, you know, I found children really didn't like the fact that they didn't know who was present. Oh, yeah. They liked oh, to yeah. know the number, right? Okay, thank you. The, the number of people present, uh, male, female, how they identified um, their ages, uh, what they were all doing, like, were they standing? Were they sitting? Were they near? Were they far? away as much detail as you can possibly provide as a parent to your child i think they would really appreciate that and and that's uh, that was a major one even in school what do you two think well i certainly think i've had that situation where you know uh someone will tell me afterwards oh you know when i was a kid obviously people would tell me, oh, you know, this kid was like really wanting to play with you, you know, kind of like staring at you, you know, like watching you all mm. the time, but, you know, was maybe too shy to, to say something. I'm like, oh, I would have loved, you know, the teacher, whatever to, you know, give me some, some cue and the opposite too, where you're, you're trying to engage yeah. when someone is just not interested and in trying to walk away. So definitely those visual cues and contacts can be mm. in, incredibly helpful to have. Absolutely. The social cues, right? Sorry. No, no. Yeah, go ahead. And I'll let Ramya comment as well before we move on to you. Go ahead, Ramya. Oh, oh, thank you. Um, I think that we should get to this point because this is something that I... uh, 
Mm. For some reason, my reaction to it has, over the years has been maybe a little uh, less than ideal. But joking around and humor, Lucia, there's again oh. that nonverbal <laughs> or that understanding of sarcasm yeah. or all these other things that come up that honestly sometimes just need to be put outright into words to understand what's going on with humor around you. Yes, absolutely. And I think as sighted people, we really lose that nuance of oh, what yeah. it's like not oh, to yeah. know one who's being spoken to, right? And then the other one is those facial expressions, because sometimes a person might say a joke and they're using their normal tone. Exactly. But their expression is what is giving you that cue that they're fooling around or playing with you or, or making a joke. And as an educator, I found that to be for myself, never mind my students, frustrating. And so I, I would say to adults out there and educators and parents, you know, name the person that you're speaking to, say that person's name first. And then also make certain that you start off the conversation. You might think that it's not helpful to your joke, but you must start out that sentence by saying, this is a joke, or I'm just kidding around so that the 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 person that you're speaking to who's perhaps not sighted will understand and not miss that visual cue and this is one again where jokes at home the way that your parents mm -hmm. joke with you the way that you joke like the dynamic you have with your siblings mm -hmm. can be so drastically different from what comes at you at school or at yeah. work or just different kinds of people right and and different comparisons yeah. of attitudes towards humor so yeah it can be quite uh quite the deal without even being prepared for it. Yeah, it, it, it's really challenging. Sorry, Grant, go ahead. No, yeah, I'll, I'll say. Uh, wondering if we can talk about other things about related to respect. I, I read something so interesting online where literally someone's like two-year-old was talking and somebody interrupted her and she mm -hmm. said, please don't interrupt me. Oh, nice. And the person was so proud of her because we're so often told to just shut up. You know, the mm -hmm. older people's opinions matter, whatever. Can you talk a little bit about that, that respect that kids are asking for? Absolutely. And so that is one of the things is like, allow the child to have the time to speak and say what they need to say. And it's respecting when a child is speaking, but then also respect for their choices. And, you know, um, kids would often complain that adults don't respect their either interests or what they have to say, um, comments about friends, things like that. And they're, 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 I'll put it in conjunction with taking a child's opinions um, also seriously. So it's more that let's go beyond listening, beyond respecting by allowing the child to finish that conversation mm. and truly listening to what they're saying and then respond to it. But respect them enough to take them seriously when they're making comments, whether that comment be positive, negative, or it's about an interest that they have that they want to pursue in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think mm. this comes with, again, all these nuances, right, Lucia? Because uh, it's so easy to feel like we know better <laughs> because we're adults. And that's often not the case. And especially if you're actually listening, you're not necessarily listening to advise or listening to um, uh, prove your kid wrong or whatever. You're actually mm -hmm. just listening to listen. And that intention alone is something that I think is important we need to practice. Yeah. 
So I think if we kind of put them together and think that, you know, as we're we're listening to be able to be much more effective communicators with our children, we want to know and have them know that we respect what they have to say, Mm. who they are, and then, you know, continue that conversation in a relaxed way. Yeah, I think. I think it's so interesting to have like an an actions based approach to hey instead of thoughts like you don't you don't have to be sorry for something you don't have to like somebody mm. you don't have to change your thoughts mm-hmm. you just have to be nice to that with your behavior maybe to someone but you don't right. have to feel happy about you know doing it necessarily like or that. saying like I'm sorry yeah Yeah, I like that. That's a nice point. Good point to make. And that goes in respecting what a child has to say about other people. I know that um, we'll extend respect to respect for a child's personal space, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I Mm. I, I know I'll say in the olden days, um, it was typical for a parent to say to a child, oh, go give a hug and a kiss to so-and-so. God, yeah. But I know that Mm. when my children, right, were, were young, and people would say that or someone would expect them to. My words were no. I'm sorry. We don't do that in our home, um, especially if the child doesn't know that the other person. And then I would say uh, a hug and, and a kiss is reserved for people that we know and when my child chooses to do so. I think that's really important, um, respecting um, personal space. Sorry. Yeah. And just when your child yeah. wants to do it, if they're, yeah. you know, stressed out, if they're, you know, they've just kind of had a, you know, a timeout, whatever. And now you've got to hug yeah. your, your crazy yeah. uncle. Like, no, yeah. like, absolutely not. Mm. Um, absolutely. You know what? It is always, this is an incredibly fascinating chat. And I, I actually have honestly a lot it seems like our latest generation is learning so many new like virtues raised Mm. by different techniques really Mm. gives us some some hope for them we are really close for time though so i think i'm gonna have to uh we're gonna have to let you go there but thank you so much for sharing all that with us you're so welcome it was nice meeting you on air grant take care bye you too and we catch up with lucia belafonte on the first tuesday of every month After the break, we're going to wrap up the show together, Grant and I. I'll tell you what's coming up on now with Dave Brown. Also, their Wednesday edition of the show. And we got a closing moment for you. I'm bringing back books. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. up the show here kelly and ramia the second hour was grant and ramia we've been having a good time just wrapped up our parenting conversation with lucia belafonte Uh, you know i feel like we pick up tips from her every month grant and uh also a lot of nostalgia and i guess remembering our own childhoods and comparing how things have hopefully changed for the better as we get older yeah i'll say just having so many new tips and advice virtues to kind of help us move forward that it's really kind of exciting to think about like kids these days and 
I, I have an opposite. Some people are so cynical. I kind of have the opposite. I'm like, this is going to be cool. I'm going to be mm. a really compassionate generation. Exactly. A lot of transparent conversations, which were, you know, inappropriate at the least, unacceptable uh, at the most sometimes when we were growing up that now we just, you know, very openly and candidly can talk about. And I do recognize that even in the younger um, kids, students, people that we talk to. So it's lovely. A mm -hmm. quick reminder that you can catch Kelly and Ramya on your favorite podcast platform. We have swapped around a couple things on the network. So uh, the live airing of the show is 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Our first airing of the show is 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And if all that is confusing for you, no problem. Stick around until you hear a promo and go to your favorite podcast platform to find us there, Kelly and Ramya. Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, you can catch Now with Dave Brown live on AMI-tv. And here's what's coming up on the Wednesday edition. Nostalgia, speaking of which, is good for business. So Kevin Shaw is going to offer his thoughts on the pros and cons of nostalgia being used in business media. Ooh, that's going to be a great convo. Also, community reporter Shiny Saravuna Muthu in Montreal is talking about two upcoming markets over there in that city. I'm sure, like we heard with our community reporter today, there's tons going on in Montreal around Christmas. And also, entertainment critic Michael McNeely is reviewing the movie uh, The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. And this was released last September. He's going to tell us more about it. I thought they had talked about it last week. Maybe this is a part two. Okay, Grant, here's our closing moment. Yeah, it does sound <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here is our closing moment, all right? Um, there's a book. It's titled mm. in French. It's called A la Recherche. Du, pont, du temps perdu. Who knows if that's mm -hmm. how it's, you actually pronounce it. But just search up The Longest Book in the World by Marcel Proust, <laughs> and it contains an estimated 9,609,000 characters, which makes it the longest book in the world. Now, the translation of this French title is Remembrance of Things Past. Look at this theme of nostalgia, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we could not have planned for this better. Uh, but longest book in the world. Does this make you want to read it, not want to read it? Sparks notes it. Where are you at? I mean, I I guess that's too much text to just paste into chat GPT and get a summary. <laughs> that's that's intense. I don't know. I'm just imagining the back in the olden days when we had Braille volumes, it would have been like thousand <laughs> volumes or something. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I would do it. You'd only get the bragging rights of one book and it would be so long. What about you? How long does it take to write a book like this? I don't know. Uh, and also, I have no idea what this actual book is because I didn't Google <laughs> it before coming on here. So I'm out. I'm here thinking, is this a self-development? Is this just like a, oh, yeah. a memoir, a chron chronology of like what this person went through? And also, were they looking for that world record of longest book in the world, or did they just go for it? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, too. It's like Char Charles Dickens, where didn't he get paid by the word? So he should have taken lessons from this this guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, I, I do like the translation. Sometimes the translation doesn't come out so well between languages, but this one still sounds nice in English. Things I'll let you read it first. Better. You can let me know what you thought. No way. No, I'm going to go for a Google <laughs> synopsis. I'm not even going to go chat GPT. That's oh, <laughs> still a lot. Grant, it's been uh, fabulous co-hosting the second hour with you. And you will oh, be back you. sometime it's... later this week with Kelly. 
It's always an honor to join you guys. It really is. It's such a fantastic show. It is, if we do say so ourselves. Let's find out what's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Kelly and Remia. Join us back for Wednesday when we're talking about Day of the Dead. This is just passed in Mexico, um, Dia de Mortes, and we're going to talk about it with audio describer J.J. Hunt. He's got a lot to say. Kevin Shaw joins us to continue our series on business etiquette with a focus on digital etiquette in the workplace. That's it for us. We'll chat with you tomorrow. Hey guys, Jeff here, and I just wanted to piggyback off of the conversation that the guys had in the first segment on whether you carry cash or not. Great debate. I feel like it's 50-50. A lot of people do, a lot of people don't. I am under the people that do. I've always carried cash, and it's not like I carry like wads of $100 bills around or anything, but it's typically at the bare minimum, usually 20 bucks in my wallet. Um, I also will have, you know, a couple of, of loonies and toonies and, and stuff like that as well. Because uh, you never know when you need those. You know, if you're on the subway or, um, you know, if there's obviously a power outage, I think that's probably one of the big reasons people carry cash. Um, but for me, it's usually, you know, 20, 40, 60 bucks at most. Um, and nothing more, nothing less. It's just, you know, you never know. Sometimes it's good to have cash on you in case, you know, your credit card decides to act funky and and the or the machine starts to act up. And then you're just not in a sticky situation where you're trying to buy something and you sort of have to just leave it because you don't have a backup option from either your credit or your debit card. So I'm under the party of carrying cash. I think everybody should probably carry a little bit of cash. Um, I know it's a little bit of an older school mentality, but it's just something that I've always done. If I'm going to carry my wallet around with me, I might as well have a little bit of something in it. So I'm under uh, under that party of carrying cash basically wherever I go. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.